Well, now that you're all comfortable, I'm going to ask you to stand because we're going to read God's Word, and I think one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture, and I think if you're able, we're not going to be upset if you stay and seated, but if you're able, stand while we read this. We're going to begin in Ephesians. This is our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read those first two verses I preached last week, and then we're going to read all the way through verse 14. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated unto us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood." the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him." in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I love your word. But God, I truly love the book of Ephesians. Lord, I pray you would help me. God, help me to get out of the way in this message and help your word and the intention of Paul's words that he's written here to shine from these pages and for it to transfigure our whole look on our life and on our place in this world. And God, I pray you would help us to live, to live our relationship with, uh, with you. Uh, help us to live it out in love and in sincerity. God, I pray for our church. Help us to grow. Help us to grow spiritually this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I have spent weeks studying this passage. This is, I think, one of the most important passages, I think, in all of Scripture. It's so rich. And and I would tell you this morning that if I so wanted to, I could preach a whole series through just what we read uh, probably the whole summer long, and y'all would be so sick of it, okay? Maybe I'd be, I would love it. It'd be so much fun. But uh, there's so much here, and it's, there's so much here. It's a temptation for a preacher to preach for an hour and a half. But I have learned that the, 
The mind can only absorb what the seat can endure, something like that. And so I'm to try to be concise. I'm to try to be clear and focused uh, because there is a, a very broad uh, pa- a, a meaning to this passage. There's a, a very broad uh, revelation that we're seeing Paul explain to this church. And what Paul's writing here, what he's writing is actually one long run-on sentence. And from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, all the way through verse 14, it's one Greek sentence, 202 Greek words. And if you know anything about the language of Greek, uh, those words are pretty rich to begin with. So this is like he's written a whole book in just a few words, and these 202 Greek words. And, and, and he's trying to express something that's huge to this church. If you recall, this this church is planted in a place, it's a Gentile church. It's planted in uh, a city called Ephesus, uh, a place that was full of riches. Uh, the, uh, we talked about last week how the, uh, the, the temple of Diana was there. And, and while that temple of Diana was a, a, a hub of spiritual activity, it was also a depository of immense riches. And, and that all kind of plays into this passage because... What Paul is describing to them is their position in God's grand plan. The title of my sermon is A Blessed God Blesses. That first uh, verse talks about blessing God and why. This whole passage uh, is about blessing God and why He should be blessed by us, why He should be worshipped, why He is to be worshipped by all, and why He will be. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. My goal is to reveal to you the depth of this message because it's so important for each of us. You know, he's writing, I was talking about it, he was writing to this church in, in a real place, in a real time and history. These people who were real people, who had real lives, who, who had real influences on their life, the same distractions many of us deal with, the same struggles that many of us cope with, the same uh, relationships. They had marriages, they had children, they had friends, they had co-workers, they had all these things. But there is something greater to their life that Paul wanted them to see. And each of us, I remember I described last week this place at Ephesus uh, that it's very much like Houston. It's a, it's a metropolitan area. It's a place of trade and money and power. It was an important city. We live in an important city. I mean, this applies to any Christian on, on the face of earth, by the way, but so much to us here. And each of you, you have a life that you're living right now. You have a life that, that involves relationships and goals and, and struggles and, and financial difficulties and, and uh, medical issues and, and relationship problems and, and all these things. And, and each of you have some kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. Even if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, you, you didn't know this, but you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Y'all are strangers. And I implore you to know him today. But we all have a relationship with him. And because we're finite and our our means of understanding this world is limited, we look around our life and we go, 
Why is this happening to me? Why is this taking place in the world? What is, where is everything driving true to? You know, we can't, we can't learn those things on our own. We live in a culture right now that is grasping to, to find meaning. Uh, the, the political machine right now is trying to, to impose new morals and, and, and new thoughts and, 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 and new uh, ways of life upon everybody because this is going to give everybody meaning. Identity politics, it's huge right now. But the reality is, is if you want to know your, the meaning of this world, if you want to know where everything is headed, if you want to know your place in this world, if you want to find your true identity, not some identity that you can find in the world, but I mean an identity that is eternal, you find it right here in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I have three points. And I'll try to make them, or I'll just make them, I'll just tell you all of them right now. You ready? Point number one, we're going to look at God's grand plan. The second thing we're going to look at is man's glorious place. And the third thing, well, I'll get to that when I get to it, okay? I got to leave a little teaser in there. Let's think about what God, let's examine what we see in God's grand plan. The first thing we see in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, is that God blesses His people in Christ with every blessing possible. And this is a, if you hadn't, as we read through this, I want you to to take note that all of what he's saying is that God's grand plan is God-centered. Isn't that different from our world? <laughs> We're very uh, me-centered, Darren-centered. I can be very Darren-centered. Ben's good at being Ben-centered. And uh, uh, Brother Lester, I'm, I'm sure, has some skill at being Brother Lester-centered. Uh, we, we're fo- self-focused people, aren't we? But God's grand plan is not focused on you and me. It's on Him. God blesses His people in Christ with every blessing. You might be here and you might have, I pray that each of you has trusted Christ. I know many of you have and you have a relationship and you're part of this church. Let me explain to you something. There's no uh, uh, redheaded stepchilds in a relationship with God. There's no uh, favoritism. God is no respecter of persons. He blesses you with every blessing that he can bless you with. He, he did so, we saw it through the cross. We see through the next few verses that God chooses. Part of his grand plan is that God chooses to redeem to him a people. Look in verse 4. It says, he is, uh, this is a run-on sentence, so we're going to bleed together a little bit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And then verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Listen, if you're here today and you've trusted Christ, Jesus, God has chosen you. He chose you. Now, you might be uh, immediately, if you're, if you're like me, uh, this is a, a, a famous passage that many people will attribute to being Calvinistic. If you're here and you believe in Calvinism, I'm sorry. You got it wrong. 
This passage doesn't teach Calvinism at all. Not at all. Now, does that mean God doesn't have a place in your salvation? Yeah, he's got a place in your salvation. God is sovereign. God is, he has chosen all who will trust him. And it is dependent, his, our, our entire salvation is, is dependent on the entire uh, trinity of, of, of God. God the Father has chosen us. Uh, God the Son had paid the price, the penalty for our sin to save us and, and secured for us an inheritance uh, through his uh, uh, resurrection. And the Holy Spirit talks about this later in this passage. It seals our salvation so that no one can take it from us. And our salvation, though, is only dependent upon our yielding to the Holy Spirit's calling on our life to trust in Jesus Christ. But just because it says he chose you doesn't mean God before the foundations of the world, as it says in that verse, decided he, was, he knew everybody who was going to be born and who was going to die, who was going to live, everybody. And he went, you know what? I want to, you know what? I'm, I, I think I'm going to pick this group and I'm, these are going to be my people. And the rest of these can, well, they're just going to have to go to hell and I'll just choose these. No, that's wrong. The reality is, is that he's chosen all who are in Christ. And if you read with me through this passage, you're going to see it. He's chosen all who are in Christ. And you'll see that repeated over and over, in Christ. And let me give you a, a, a way to kind of distinct, uh, a distinction between what else, what Calvinism might say. It would be to Christ. We're chosen to Christ. But that's Calvinism. And that's not what this says. He has chosen us who are in Christ, according to as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated unto us the adoption of children, according to the good pleasure of his will. Listen, this is a God-centered, God's choice plan. He is the one who's moving. Uh, verse 6, it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us. He has made us accepted in the beloved. How did he do that? Through the blood of Jesus Christ, in whom we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He has made us accepted in verse 6. He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence or understanding and counsel. He has he decided on his own, by his own understanding, by his own counsel, by his own wisdom to save you, to choose you, to change your eternal destiny forever. He did it. Verse 9. I love these last few verses. They're so... Uh, these last few verses we're going to look at in this, this particular section. It says in whom, uh, verse 9, it says, He hath made known unto us the mystery of his will. I, I, I was just talking to you in my introduction about how we all live in this life and we all cope with all sorts of things. And, and we find ourselves sometimes in our life wondering, where is this all headed? Like, what is the point? I mean, isn't that something we struggle with? You know, most of the time we keep we try to keep our head down and focused on doing our job well and and feeding our family and make sure our home is clean and well cared for and 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 make sure we maintain our relationships. We keep our head down and focus on those things. But every now and again, each of us, I think, and maybe more often for you than me, we take a, a look up and we go, "Where is this all heading? What's the point of this? Like, uh, why does any of what I'm doing matter? 
What's the, why does my relationship with my wife matter? Why does the way I raise my sons matter? Why does the way I pastor a church matter? What does it mean? It's a mystery to us, isn't it? Does anybody here know on their own what everything, where everything is going? Okay, so the smart Alex didn't speak up and say, well, yeah, look at verse 10. You had a chance there. It says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Listen, God has revealed his will to each of us. He has a glorious plan that he has revealed to us, and and he's going to tell us what it is according to his good pleasure, which he's purposed in himself. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. You might be wondering, where is all this headed? As I said, the smart Alex know or the smarty pants know. Y'all know. This is all headed to a final destination. Someday, the mess that we live in is going to be all cleaned up. Someday, all the sexual immorality, all the, all the, uh, the, the baby killing, all the profanity, all the wars, the dysfunction of this world, all of it is going to be gone. But you know what? It's not going to happen because of you or me or whoever's in the White House Whoever's on Congress, it's not going to happen because some guy shows up on the scene and seems to know all the answers and wants to tell everybody how to live. And and that's no, it's all going to happen because of Jesus Christ. All things are driving towards Jesus. And it says in Philippians chapter 2 that when that day comes, all knees will bow and all tongues will confess. Even those tongues that hate God, that hate the idea of Jesus, they will all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You want to find meaning in this life? Quit looking into your career. Quit even looking into your, your family relationships. I mean, that may sound harsh and really strange for you to hear me say because I'm a family man. I love my wife, my sons more than I could possibly express to you. But my wife and my sons are are in my life because of God. And they all belong to him just like I do. And the way for me to love my wife and my sons, the way for us to have a proper relationship isn't for me to take my eyes off of God and put them all on her and on him and on them. It's to keep my eyes on God and to love them as God would have me to love. And we'll see that later in the book of Ephesians. God's going to talk to us. Uh, Paul's going to talk to the church about how we're to live because of this glorious plan. But listen, God has changed your situation forever. He did it because it's his plan. It wasn't some reaction to, to, to some uh, plan that went wrong. It isn't uh, God trying to mop up some mess that that happened. No, this is God's plan from the beginning. God's grand plan to bless his people in Christ with every blessing, to redeem to himself a people. And he has this grand plan for the cosmos that everything, everything will come together in Christ and be reconciled in Christ. And then we will have a whole new understanding of of existence. 
God's glorious plan in this passage has been revealed. And, and my transition note says that what does that have to do with us? Well, I've already been talking about that some. Do you know you're in this passage too? If you've trusted Christ, you're in there. <laughs> you're in there. In fact, we're going to read some of these verses again, and we're going we're to take note of how many personal pronouns there are. Pay attention, okay? Uh, verse, verse 3, let's go back. Very back to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that God-centered thing. This is, this is the second point. We're talking about man's glorious place. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. Hey, he's talking about you and me. With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him. Listen, uh, man's place in God's plan is to be blessed. That's our place. It's to enjoy the rich blessings of God. There's no other being that has this privilege. None. Not only are we to be blessed by God, we are to be blessing him. That's what verse 3 says. Blessed be. Hey, there's, a, there's that verb in there. We're to be blessing him. Uh, we're to be living our life worshiping him. But our place is to be, to be blessed. And it says we're deliberately chosen into this plan before time. In, verses, in these verses, it describes how and why. It says uh, that we should be holy, verse 4, and without blame before him in love, having predestinated unto us the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasures of his will, to be the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Listen, if you're paying attention, you'll see that he's deliberately chosen us in time with love, by grace, to be holy. And what does that mean? You have a living, breathing relationship with God. So often our noses are down, our face is down, and it's focused on our relationships with one another. And that's not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. We should focus on those things. We should, we should strive to have good, have good interpersonal relationships with those that are, God has placed in our life. But not to the neglect of our relationship with God. We have a living, breathing relationship with Him. We've been chosen since we've trusted in Christ and we're now our, our location, our position, our identity in life is in Christ. Because of that, we're to be uh, living holy. We're to be different. As I said, I, I, could, I could preach on this for an hour and a half easy. How many of y'all remember being lost? Oh, man. When you realized, oh, man, I deserve hell. Sin has is, is, is conquered me, and I have no hope. You remember that? Do you remember that? Do you remember being lost? I, I think what Paul wants the Ephesian church to to grasp. There's many things he wants, him to, wants them to grasp, but he wants them to understand the riches that they have. 
I spoke before about how this place of Ephesus, the, the Temple of Diana, was a major repository of riches. Tremendous amount of wealth and, and, and expensive art was found in this place and uh, was stored in that place, that Temple of Diana. And Paul is writing to this church about riches beyond compare. I mean, think about this. I love verse 7. Talking about Christ in whom we have redemption through his blood. Wow. The forgiveness of sins. You remember when you were lost, what you needed, what you craved. I I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember uh, 14 years old sitting at church camp where we're going to go here in a few weeks. And and I remember right where I was sitting, I was on the uh, the second row uh, and right on the aisle seat all the way and just right as close to the preachers you could possibly get. I wasn't on the front row because weirdos sit on the front row. And that's why nobody sits up here except for me. But I was right there as close as I could get to that preacher and he was preaching and I have no idea what he was preaching because about five minutes into that sermon, I realized I was lost and I sat there and I sweated for 40 minutes while that guy talked because, you know, 14 years really smart. I could have got saved the moment I realized I was lost, but I decided to sit there and suffer for about 40 minutes and I went over during the invitation, and I trusted Christ, put my full faith in him. But I remember, I remember being afraid that, man, if the ground just opened up, anything's possible. Ground could open up right now. I'm going to fall straight into hell. I was scared out of my wits, and I craved God's forgiveness. And, And what does it say you have here in Christ? We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. That which I craved, that's what, what each of us long for when we realize that we're sinners, when we realize we're lost and we have no hope of salvation except Jesus Christ. That is given to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then I love this last few words uh, to this passage or to this verse. It says, according to the riches of his grace. I, I got to sit on this for a little bit. According. Uh, uh, how many of y'all follow the news? Yeah, probably everybody, I guess, in some way. How many of y'all, who's the richest man in the world right now? Oh, John knows. Who is it, John? Elon Musk. Elon Musk. I think he's still the richest. There might be somebody else. I think there's a French guy that's richer than him. But since Elon Musk lives in Texas now, we can pick on him. How rich is he? At the height of his wealth, Elon Musk was worth $324 billion. That's silly. Isn't that just silly? I was doing a little math, and I thought, you know what? What if you had $200 billion? I mean, how... If you spent, how fast would it take you to, how long would it take you to spend all that? Well, I figured that if you spent $100 million a month, all right, you have $200 billion, you're worth 200 If you spend $100 million a month, it would take you 38 years to spend all that money. $100 million is more money than probably all of us put together we'll see in our entire lifetime. This is a silly amount of riches, isn't it? You know what? You take all of that wealth. Let's take the whole Forbes 400 list. Let's put all those billionaires in, in one, uh, one place. Let's, let's say all of their wealth put together. And then how about all the wealth of all the nations and all the material resources of our earth uh, put together and stored in one place? Let's, let's say uh, all, the, 
all the material resources of the planets around us, these planets and these asteroids that are covered with precious gems and metals and, 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 and are worth a tremendous amount of money. Uh, they talk about mining uh, asteroids is what they want to do because there's this huge amount of resources and gold and things they can find, they believe, on these asteroids. Let's put all of that together. Let's put all of the riches of the universe in one place and let's put it on a scale and let's put it on one side. And then when you put Jesus Christ on the other side, all of that stuff is going to fly off of that scale because he's worth everything. And you have everything in him. Listen, if we're, if we're a waiter and we're waiting at a, at a table and Elon Musk is sitting there at that table and we're praying, man, that he gives us a good tip, amen? Right, he's gonna give us a tip. You know, he'd probably give us a tip out of his wealth and it might be a really great tip, but imagine if he gave you a tip according to his wealth. Whew, man, that would be silly, wouldn't it? I mean, you'd never have to work another day in your life, it would seem. But God, God, oh man, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Listen, everything, you want to find identity. You you worry about what's in your bank account. Who cares? Because what you have in Christ is by orders of magnitude far greater, far more wondrous, far more eternal Elon Musk is going to die someday. And guess how much of that money he can take with him? Not one penny. Not that he cares, I think. But we're so focused on here and now that we miss the tremendous riches of, the, of, the, of, the, of our place in God's glorious plan. This should change our very being. Our place is to be uh, is a, uh, 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 our, our place in God's plan is a blessing. A man is deliberately chosen before time. Man told, our, our, part of our place is to be told God's plan. He doesn't reveal to any other creature in creation that we know of that uh, he doesn't reveal to any of them his plan. He reveals it to you and me. At verse 8, having made known unto us the mystery this mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. That's me and you, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. We're able to be part of his plan. Man is, man gets to receive God's inheritance. We become heirs of a divine inheritance. If we were to go to chapter 2, and I, I, I don't have time to preach this to you, but it tells us that but God who is rich in mercy, again, he's drawing. I think Paul purposefully used this word rich because he's drawing this parallel to the riches existing there at the temple of Diana, who is rich in mercy for with his great love, wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath made us alive together with Christ and hath raised up together and made us to sit together. Together with who? Me and you? Like us together? No, he's talking about together with Christ. Listen, when you trust Christ, you, you inherit all that is Christ's. Your position is in him. And it is a spirit 
certified situation if we see in those last few verses in whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ whom you also trusted that after that you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and whom after that you received or you believed excuse me you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise listen our glorious Uh, This glorious plan has been revealed, and when we trust in him, when we receive this divine inheritance, we receive a spirit-certified and sealed standing for all eternity. Can I tell you this morning, if you've trusted Christ, everything about your life has radically changed, whether you noticed it or not. Everything. Everything. And it's not going to be based on your feelings. Well, we live in a world driven by feelings, don't we? We live in a world driven by the idea that, man, if I don't feel like I'm saved, I must not be saved. Well, that's a lie from hell. Because your feelings will lie to you. <laughs> uh, how many of y'all have children? All right, Ben and John, y'all quit listening, Okay. Because I love you and I don't want you to hurt your feelings. I'm just kidding. I love my sons more than I could possibly express to you here on this stage for the rest of the day. I couldn't tell you. I just, you know what it's like. If you're a parent, you love your children like, like yourself. Beyond that, you're willing to die for them, to fight for them, to kill for them, whatever you got to do to love them and protect them. That's what you live for, right? Okay, how many of you ever wanted to kill one of your kids? They just drive you crazy. When just, what are you thinking? Are feelings like that truth? Nope. It's a lie. So there's proof to you that your feelings will lie to you. Our faith is not rooted in our feelings. Our faith is rooted in the word of God. And his glorious plan revealed to you and me shows that we have an inheritance like we could never imagine. Riches beyond anything we could imagine. Uh, and, And an inheritance, a life ahead of us unlike anything we could ever imagine. And we try to imagine what heaven's like, and we hear a little bit of what the scripture says and talks about pearly gates and talks about worshiping the Lord forever and ever. Uh, listen, that sound, some of you might think that sounds kind of boring. I don't think so. I don't think we're going to feel that way at all. In fact, I think our worship is going to be through our work and through exploring this universe. I don't know. That's Darren's made-up ideas, okay? I'm just excited to experience whatever God has in store because whatever it is, It's orders of magnitude greater than what we have here. And part of God's glorious plan is that man has a glorious place in this plan, that we have this inheritance, and that we're part of of God's plan to redeem the world to himself. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about the church a little bit in this uh, institution that God has established here on earth. And, And the mission of the church is to do what? To share the gospel. Let me tell you, if you struggle with sharing the gospel, uh, uh, God did not call you to convince skeptics. God did not call you uh, to uh, wrestle with someone in in heated debate so that they'll understand that what you believe is right and what they believe is wrong. What God has called you to do is to preach the gospel, to just share with them the truth and let God work out all the other uh, things that need to happen for that person to come to a place of salvation. Listen, God has a glorious 
a grand plan, and man has a glorious place in this plan. And my third point, and it'll be probably really short, is that we're to buy into this plan. We're to live this out in our life. I I say this to you because, as I said in my introduction, we all live a life. And some of our lives are bigger than other lives. Some of us live alone. Some of us may live a small life. Some of us uh, may live a a little bit larger life, have a family with a wife and kids and home still. Or or some of us have even larger lives than that where we have uh, grandkids and and we have uh, cousins and people that you visit and see all the time. And we have retirement and we go travel. Listen, all of us are living some kind of a life. But the life which you live was bought by Jesus Christ And there's a whole part of it that we forget about and this relationship that we have, this place, this identity that we have in God's glorious plan. And what what Paul wants this church at Ephesus to do is to buy in, to align ourselves with God's glorious plan. I, I talked about how identity politics is so such a raging thing in our culture right now, and what identity politics and 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 a certain group of our country wants everybody to do is to align themselves with what the humanist worldview is, which is we decide what's right and wrong. They want us to align, to buy in, and and part of the problem we have so much, part of the reason why we have so much uh, discord in our society now is because there's people like you and me who go, wait a minute. I have a plan that I'm living for God and has nothing to do with what they're talking about. There's some morality that, that, that they've seemingly ignored from God's word and, and I can't buy into that plan because it's sinful. That's what we're supposed to do. We need to buy into God's plan and align ourselves with his purposes. We fail to buy in most of the time. We live... Uh, we, we, we live rarely as though we are part of his plan. Usually we live as part of our own plan. All of us do it, I think. I, I'm, I know I'm not immune to it. But how can this failure be remedied? <laughs> Look at his word. And instead of looking at his word, listening to what Brother Darren fusses at you about on Sunday morning, and then going home and forgetting about it. Listen to his word, read it. Let it become part of you. Let it form your identity. Every morning we look in the mirror, and whether we see what we want to see or not, we see ourselves reflected. I see less hair, more pimples and things like that. I challenge you, look at God's word, because you're here. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, this wildly long run-on sentence that Paul expounds for these people in Ephesus, you're included in there, and so this is a mirror for you. He chose us 
He chose you and him before the foundations of the world. He predestinated you, the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. He he chose you to the praise of his glory of his grace. He made you accepted in the beloved. He chose you to have redemption and forgiveness through his blood according to the riches of his grace. I could go on here. This is a mirror for your position, your very identity. And if you leave today, maybe, maybe I haven't been very clear. I don't know. Maybe this is such a great idea, such a big, I mean, great, not like terrific. I mean, great, like huge, okay? Maybe this is such a big idea that you're having a hard time grappling with it. Go home and, and pour yourself into studying this passage so you might understand the, the immensity of God's grand plan and your glorious place in his plan. And then find where God's word tells us how to buy in and align ourselves with his plan. I want to study through this book of Ephesians because it's going to, it's going to reveal this grand plan and, and, and our glorious place. And it's also going to tell us how we're to buy in. Uh, these first three chapters really speak about our position and, and how we're in that position and the awesomeness of that position in the last three chapters talk about how does to live, how to live once we realize what, we're, what we are and who we are in God. If we, allow, if we let it, Ephesians will change our life. I mean, God's word will do that anywhere, won't it? But Ephesians is so powerful. Let's stand together.